0: Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne, and in this episode, we're exploring Hyperloop, a form of high-speed transit through very low-pressure tubes brought to prominence in 2013 by Tesla CEO Elon Musk. Right now, companies around the world are competing in a global race to prove that traveling at 700 miles an hour between cities is possible, and if they do, this will be the next transport revolution transforming our lives as much as the automobile did in the late 1800s or aviation in the early 20th century. Hyperloop technology uses linear electric motors to drive magnetically levitating capsules or pods through very low air pressure or vacuum tubes. In theory, this lack of air resistance results in speeds of up to 700 miles an hour, cutting journey times from hours to minutes. London to Edinburgh, for example, would take around 40 minutes, approximately half the time it takes to fly. Further afield, companies such as Virgin Hyperloop One predict that the journey time between the east and west coast of the US, New York to Los Angeles, an incredible 4,500 kilometres, would be just four hours, 28 minutes. If you want to know the time forecast between any major city, they've got a route calculator on their website and I spent what seems like hours playing with that earlier. Melbourne to Sydney? 53 minutes. Mumbai to Delhi? One hour, 22 minutes. I could go on, but I won't, because there's a long way to go before these journey times become possible. Support for this episode comes from Labold, participating in innovation. Whether Hyperloop initiatives will come to fruition depends on a variety of parameters, just like all major innovations of the last century. Technically, the principle is relatively simple. If you insert a capsule into a tube and take out the air, then transportation can become quicker using less energy. Offering the right vacuum solutions for demanding applications to customers is what Labelled stands for, since 1850. Learn more at www.labelled.com. To date, U.S.-based Virgin Hyperloop One is the only company to have successfully conducted full-scale tests on its 500-meter-long test tube in the Nevada desert. The good news so far is that in each test, the pod has moved faster. By December 2017, Hyperloop One proved that its carbon-fibre pod and levitating chassis could reach speeds of 387 km per hour. But these speeds are limited by the length of track, with acceleration and deceleration requirements meaning there's only around 300 metres at which the pod can run at speed. Under the same conditions, given another 2,000 metres of track, the team claimed that it would have reached the 1,100 km per hour speeds that are possible in theory. And this is now a priority, to construct a longer testing track. Other companies are seeking to do this too. Hyperloop Transport Technologies is hot on the heels of Virgin Hyperloop One, with a test track under construction in Toulouse, France.
1: So it's a particularly exciting moment for us because we passed from a, a document that was a white paper that Elon uh, suggested as a possible technology to actually implementing a real Hyperloop system.
0: This is Bebop Grester, chairman of Hyperloop TT, who together with company CEO Dirk Alborn founded the company in November 2013. The team has ambitious plans to deliver a 5km hyperloop track in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. The paper that Bebop refers to is the famous Hyperloop Alpha Study, published by Elon Musk in August 2013. Perhaps the world's most famous engineer, Musk is the entrepreneur behind global disruptors such as Tesla and SpaceX. And although he invented the term hyperloop, the idea of transportation through low-pressure tubes is not new – And one of the earliest designs for this is credited to an American engineer called Robert Hutchings Goddard. Goddard's better known for inventing the world's first liquid-fuelled rockets, the first of which was launched in 1926. But long before this, in 1904, Goddard was studying physics at the Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Massachusetts. His assignment, to write a paper on the future of transport in the year 1950. His proposal was that passengers would be transported via magnetically levitating capsules sitting in steel vacuum tubes. The 200-mile journey between New York and Boston would take just 10 minutes, he said. His essay was published in The Scientific American, but the idea never really took off. And it wasn't until 1972 that Robert Salter of Rand Corporation produced a more detailed study into low-pressure transportation called the very high-speed transit system. Yet again, the world was not ready to move forward with such technology. And it took Elon's 2013 report and his forward-thinking decision to make the design open source to catalyze development.
1: We're in the phase where the capsule has been built in in, uh, Spain and we are sending it to Toulouse to actually start the assembly and testing. This is the real check that all the engineering they've been uh, dedicating, more than 70,000 hours of engineers we dedicated to the project uh, comes to fruition. We have been able to sign 14 deals around the world. And in Abu Dhabi, where Sheikh Falabi Zayed Al-Nayan gave us the blessing to build the first one, we will be able to be up and running by the Expo 2020 with at least five kilometers of line that can show to the world how amazing, efficient, and profitable is this technology. I asked Bebop what the key milestones
0: would be in achieving this.
1: So we just uh, appointed the design partner. The
0: design partner is Lebanese consultant Dar Alhandazar.
1: After that, we have a, a, a design process that started a few months ago of eight months. It is called detailed design. After that, we start the building, the construction of the line in Abu Dhabi.
0: Construction of the track in Abu Dhabi is scheduled to begin in the third quarter of 2019. But before that, the company plans to open a 320-meter-long test track in Toulouse, followed by a one-kilometre-long track in phase two. More advanced is its passenger capsule, which was unveiled in Spain in October 2018, built by Spanish company Artificial. Named Quintero 1, the 32-meter long 5000-kilogram pod is made from a new composite material that Hyperloop TT call vibranium. Vibranium may be more familiar to readers of Marvel comics, who recognize this fictional material as being the source of Captain America's shield or Black Panther's suit. Its power comes from its ability to absorb, store, and release kinetic energy, which might give us some clues as to what Hyperloop TT plan to do with it. Hyperloop TT assure me that it is real and I asked the head of engineering exactly what it is.
1: It's a new material, high strength material intelligent material can basically diagnose itself and tells you there is something wrong with me in this place.
0: So is it steel? Have it got sensors it's in composite. it? It's composite. Composite of steel? and.
1: Steel? No, no, it's composite material, new material. Uh, it's uh, one of the rare materials.
0: Can you tell us
1: Thing about the contents of it. Um, at the moment, I can't. Yeah.
0: And I still don't really know. But based on the specifications for the Quintero 1 capsule, we can deduce that it is carbon fibre-based and contains fibre optic sensors. Bebop and Dr. Kissaf were speaking at an event hosted by the UK government-backed Transport Systems Catapult. The TSC hosted the event to explore opportunities for the UK supply chain in this emerging transport technology.
1: UK has an incredible ecosystem of companies and talents. We want to tap into that potential. There's a lot of excellences inside UK. We are looking at linear motors. Uh, we are looking at energy production. We are looking also at new materials design. Uh, UK has a, a prime uh, a, a primal position in the uh, Formula One design and this is has a particular relevance into the air framing of our capsules. So we this is an opening invitation to everyone that is listening to your podcast. Please join our team because we need talents in UK to make the hyper reality
0: and i just heard you mention the importance of female engineers and gender diversity
1: this is my obsession right now we have been launching i've been launching a program a diversity program inside the company i tried to learn from the best i've been doing a, a personal training with uh, the schneider and Bayer. Companies that were in the bottom of the list and in a few years became the best place for woman 2017 I've been learning through uh, amazing uh, People that are actually foster diversity inside the company. I'm Working on launching a diversity program. We need female engineers. We need diversities. We need to make uh, this field uh, equal and uh, a, a fertile terrain for women's and diversity to, to prosper. I think we are in the front of a new renaissance where art and science are coming back together and we need to tell these new generations that doing engineering is not a boring, nerdy stuff, but it's cool, it's fun and we can literally reshape the future of humanity.
0: The potential for hyperloop in the UK itself is currently limited for several reasons. One of the features of hyperloop tubes is that they need to be relatively straight thanks to the huge g-forces generated by movement at such high speeds. Our variable topography, high land values and congested city areas mean that hyperloop systems would need to be tunnelled which drastically increases the cost and complexity of management and operation. But even if we don't build a system, Dr Gavin Bailey of the research and technology organization Transport Research Laboratory, known as TRL, thinks that there's still major opportunity for the UK to develop supply chains to support the fast-growing number of global Hyperloop projects. In October, TRL published a report entitled Hyperloop, Cutting Through the Hype, which critically analyzed the potential for this technology in the UK, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes.
2: So we have worked with um, a company called Continuum Industries a spin-out um, of a kind of university venture called Hyped, who competed in um, the SpaceX competitions for Hyperloop. And they were commissioned by the DST to do a piece of work looking into Hyperloop and the technology and kind of do a position piece to understand uh, what the UK, what position the UK should take on um, Hyperloop. And I think it quite accurately kind of found that for a Hyperloop system to be applied in the UK, we're talking about a lot of slightly kind of more complex scenario to actually kind of implement a system because of our, um, complex topography and our dense urban living. So in that sense, there's not really a pressing need for us to um, develop a system within the UK just because we're not developing a system in the UK, though, doesn't mean that we can't be a kind of key player within, uh, the development of this technology. Uh, I think there's a place for, uh, UK PLC and to uh, really exploit some opportunities here, especially using our kind of uh, world-renowned engineering pedigree and technical consulting services to inform upon the design of the test facilities and the systems that are being developed abroad by uh, by other companies um, around the world.
0: To enable a UK supply chain, Dr. Bailey is calling for creation of a new unified body consisting of around ten to fifteen research, development, engineering, and industrial organisations to engage with and inform the emerging global industry.
2: One of the things that we're, we're kind of calling for in TRL is to develop a centre of excellence for Hyperloop, where we can pull together a uh, almost virtual team of um, expert organisations, engineering industry. Um, and research and technology organizations like ourselves into a mix so that we can consult on um, on loop and form a kind of unified body uh, for for this new um, transportation concept I think that will it will open up new opportunities in terms of engagement with the uh, new test facilities coming through but also importantly put us in a very strong position to inform upon the likely regulation, and governance frameworks, which will have to be established um, as part of the safety case and the development of this technology going forwards.
0: And this is one of the biggest challenges for Hyperloop anywhere in the world, proving the safety case, which in turn drives regulation and governance. I asked if any of these existing models would be directly transferable to Hyperloop.
2: Firstly, we've got the issue that we've got numerous systems being developed they're not quite operational yet so they're not quite operating at the speeds which were anticipated and that are projected so um, and those kind of factors like speed can really uh, change quite a lot from the perspective of safety um, and then I think the next big challenge is the issue around regulation and governance uh, because we took as with any kind of new transport concept we're having we're going through the same kind of pains with uh, with autonomous vehicles, the governance process will be poorly defined and we won't know who would be most appropriate to position to regulate the safety of that system. Um, and in our report, we did, in order to try and kind of make some sense of that, we did look at uh, comparable systems uh, which, uh, which involve similar levels of risk, so rail, aviation and, uh, and nuclear power. To try and uh, understand the potential um, issues that might come about and to understand how the governance and regulation might actually be structured around.
0: Support for this episode comes from Bentley Systems. Bentley Systems is a global leader dedicated to providing architecture, engineering, construction and operation professionals with software and services for advancing infrastructure. From planning to performance, Bentley's Open Rail solution is accelerating the digital advancement of rail and transit owner operators and their supply chains around the world. A leading example is Mass Rapid Transit Corporation and its SSP line in Kuala Lumpur, where Open Rail's integrated applications and connected data environment is helping to increase productivity by 35% and enabling a geographically dispersed team to collaborate as if centrally located. To learn more about the project and how Bentley's Open Rail is helping MRTC transform the lives of millions of Malaysians today, in preparation for a better tomorrow, visit www.bentley.com slash ssp Gareth Dennis is Engineering Director of Consultant Permanent Rail Engineering. I met him at the Transport Systems Catapult Hyperloop event and he's much more cynical about the viability of Hyperloop. We discussed the technical and economic challenges.
3: Uh, number one is capacity. Um, Hyperloop will move around about 3,000 to 3,500 people um, per hour per direction uh, in one tube.
0: This is based on the size of the capsules, which will carry 28 to 40 passengers, and the distance that has to be maintained between them when travelling at 700 miles an hour.
3: Um, and you compare to the the existing sort of sustainable transport, so high-speed rail, conventional rail. Uh, that's twenty thousand um, passengers per hour per direction. So you can see there's a huge difference uh, there, and the extra speed that Hyperloop provides doesn't make up for that dis- difference in capacity. So, challenge one is that Hyperloop. Um, just doesn't really move that many people. Um, So it's difficult to see what what realm it fits into.
0: Hyperloop supporters argue that the main benefits are not about capacity so much as the advantages that come from bringing cities closer together.
3: There's a lot of technical detail, um, not so much to do the vacuum tubes and things, but more some of the more mundane stuff, like how you actually switch these pods between different tracks, um, because they are tracks. Uh, So that's quite complex and at the moment really uh, there's not enough evidence out there to be interrogated by the general public, by other experts, by third parties to really understand the practicalities of Hyperloop yet.
0: Details such as the arrangement and design of switches that allow capsules to leave the main tube to collect and discharge passengers, undergo maintenance or change direction are going to be limiting factors in the design of Hyperloop.
3: Um, at the moment, high-speed switches on the existing railway, conventional railway, are already very complicated. There, there are lots of things that, that still go wrong, despite the fact that actually we've had switches that look pretty much the same since the 1500s. So that's a very long development cycle, and for Hyperloop to turn up and say that they can come up with a completely new idea in 20 years or less, uh, that'll work, that'll be completely safe, and that won't crash pods into, um, you know, crash pods uh, willy-nilly, um, is quite a tall ask so that's that's a big question and there, there are some interesting ideas and patents that have, that, have, that have arrived and um, that people have come up with but the challenge with all these things is building a safety case uh, the railway has 200 years of safety case on on switches they're, they're you know up to five or six hundred meters long for you know 300 kilometers an hour or less. If you've got a 700 or a, a you know 1100 kilometer an hour switch, that's going to be you know a couple of kilometers long that's the, the, the tolerances are going to be minute, you know, fractions of millimetres. Um, that's an inordinate engineering challenge.
0: One of the claims made by proponents of Hyperloop is that the use of solar panels to power the low-energy system coupled with regenerative braking would result in systems that were effectively self-financing.
3: Uh, I, and not many other people, have seen any evidence to suggest anything about uh, either the costs of the infrastructure or the energy efficiency. I I, I have not seen enough evidence to just believe those claims. I do not believe them.
0: That's not to say that Gareth isn't impressed by some of the technology.
3: Some of the technology is quite cool and and you know it, it's it's exciting stuff. Uh, but the the fundamentals of the system capacity that technology doesn't solve that. That's just physics. It's just the equations of motion. Um, and not, there's no way of getting around that unless they increase the capacity of each pod. At which point it starts looking a bit like a normal railway again. And so it looks a little less futuristic and the um, venture capitalists might not support it.
0: For now, there seems to be more optimism around the potential for freight-based Hyperloop systems, which have fewer complexities than passenger transit. In April 2018, Virgin Hyperloop One signed an agreement with one of its major investors, DP World, to create DP World Cargo Speed, a Hyperloop-enabled freight movement system. And back in the UK, a company called Magway is developing a Hyperloop-based parcel delivery demonstrator system between Old Oak Common in London and Milton Keynes. Although this will use linear induction motors, the cargo will run along rails in one-metre diameter tubes rather than magnetically levitating in larger tunnels. And it won't be in a vacuum. The project received £650,000 worth of funding from Innovate UK's Emerging and Enabling Technologies competition – A condition of this is that the trial is independently assessed. TRL, therefore, is conducting independent monitoring and evaluation, which involves collecting and assessing data from the project partners. Speaking at the Hyperloop conference, Kelvin Davies of Innovate UK, which oversees the work of the TSC, urged delegates not to wait for a Hyperloop-specific funding competition, which was unlikely to materialise, and instead use funding pots already available within Innovate UK, as Magway had done. Funding will always be needed to stimulate and enable research and development. There's a lot that remains unknown about Hyperloop, and only testing and research will reveal whether or not this is truly going to become the next transport revolution. Who will be first to develop this remains to be seen. But just like the Hyperloop capsules in the low-pressure tubes, progress is accelerating. Whether it's Hyperloop TT in Abu Dhabi in 2020, or Hyperloop 1 with its Pune to Mumbai connection – these pioneers are seeking to fundamentally disrupt transport technology and take us into a new dimension. This takes dedication and belief. And without innovators like Thomas Newcomen, Richard Trevethic, Henry Ford, the Wright brothers, Tim Berners-Lee and Elon Musk, we wouldn't have the connected world that we live in today.
1: The hype that you've seen on the court is also an incredible opportunity. You know, we went to the moon, not because we needed to, but because it was worth it, right? And by doing it, uh, there was a the spark of the united, not only the imagination and the ingenuity of the best engineers that we've had at the moment, but the entire humanity. There's always a engine of innovation in every determined uh, moment of history. And, uh, Whoever has embraced and and walked with the wave always got benefits out of it.
0: Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by Bernadette Valentine. Special thanks to Hyperloop Transport Technologies, TRL, Permanent Rail Engineering, Transport Systems Catapult, Innovate UK, Labold and Bentley Systems. Additional story development by Vilo Mitrovic, fact-checking by Rian Owen, mixing and editing by John Young. Theme tune by JM Sounds, additional music by Pond5. The executive hyperlooper is Rory Harris, and we'll be back in two weeks with more. If you like this podcast, please leave us a comment or review on your podcast app, which really helps others to hear about us. Or tell a friend to have a listen. Engineering Matters can be found on all podcast apps and on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media. Follow us on Twitter at Engineer Matters and find us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Read more about us online at reby.media.